0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency. I'm Freddie Gray, I'm Deputy Editor of The Spectator. Today we're going to be talking about whether Donald Trump has really started a global trade war and I'm talking to John Carney who is the economics editor at Breitbart. John, I'm not sure if I'm completely right in saying this but I think you might be the only writer in America who actually thinks Trump's tariffs. Um, that he announced yesterday on aluminium and steel and which could have come into force I think I'm right in saying as early as next week might actually be a good thing Uh, can you explain why you think that
1: sure I well I will say that I am so far I'm the only person who I've heard stake out this position Uh, I'm sure others will eventually come forward you know my old uh my old boss, Pat Buchanan, uh, I'm sure is in favor of this as well. But yeah, though, it is not a very popular position with the American uh, punditocracy or the journalism community at large.
0: Yes. And, and that's because, I mean, America's sort of commitment to free market economics is is fairly, uh, shall we say, ideological? Yeah, I would say
1: that the ideological grip of free traders on the elite class in America is nearly absolute. Yeah. Uh, there's very few people in, you know, in the, either in the academia or in any of the prestige press that you'll ever hear praise uh, trade restrictions of any sort, much less the, uh, you, you know, so you have a kind of perfect combination, the perfect storm. They don't like trade restrictions and they hate Donald Trump. Mm. So there's it's sort of overdetermined that this was going to be a, you know, overwhelmingly negative reaction to this thing.
0: But I mean, uh, George George W. Bush tried it, tried uh, increasing tariffs on steel in 2003, uh, was it? 2003. And 2002 through 2003, that's right. And, and uh, I mean, was was the reaction as uh, furious then, or is it uh, given particular anger because it's Trump? I think
1: it's, uh, it's worse now, given much more
0: anger because it's Trump.
1: Plus, we were, in 2002, I think the free trade ideology, which had been around for, you know, 25 years, didn't have quite the lock on the consciousness of uh, the elites that it does today. There was the mm-hmm. idea that it made sense to protect uh, steel workers from the sudden influx of steel from all around the world that had been happening since around 1998 at the time. So he put in some tariffs. They were temporary. They were supposed to last three years. As it turned out, they lasted 21 months, so you know, nearly two years. But uh, yeah, people made a lot of dire predictions back then, none of which were really borne out. It didn't increase consumer prices by any noticeable amount. It didn't initiate a trade war. In fact, you know, quite the opposite. Uh, the you know the remaining Bush administration and the Obama administration was full of trade liberal- liberalization.
0: So yes. you know, if what, why policy- were they why
1: were they removed then? They were removed in part – the Bush administration said they thought they did the job. The, part, the, the reason for this, the tariffs in 2002 was to allow the uh, U.S. steel industry some time to restructure. In, order, in other words, to deal with the influx of imports. It was – there needed to be some more efficiency and consolidation in the steel industry at the time. And there was a danger that they were all going to go bankrupt uh, all mm. at once. Rather than, you know, give a, so the idea was let's shield them for a little bit, give them right. time to figure out the right way to organize, and then we'll release them. Uh, at the same time, I'm sure part of it was also pressure from trading partners. There was a WTO case filed against the it, and it ruled against the U.S. Uh, tariffs. So that that also played a role where, you know, they the, the, when the WTO, which was, you know, the Bush administration wanted to be supportive of the WTO, WTO ruled against it. They held out for a little while, but then eventually said, OK, you know, we'll give up the tariffs.
0: OK, OK. Well, so uh, let's fast forward to, to the Trump tariffs. Uh, I'm going to say to you sort of the reasons, you know, that everybody is saying as to why they are a disastrous idea. And uh, you can uh, knock down my arguments one by one. Uh, That's good. (laughs) uh, Well, I suppose the first of all would be that it's damaging to America's uh, trade partners and trade allies. Um, Okay, let's start with that one.
1: To to be honest, the right now, China it produces the overwhelmingly large amount of uh, of steel in the world. It produces in one month what the U.S. produces, for instance, in about a year. Mm. And so the, it, this is really directed at China. The reason why it has to be a universal tariff, meaning it you know, affecting everybody, is because global prices turn on China's production. So even if you just say we're going to you know, put sanctions – we already have put a lot of sanctions on Chinese steel. It's their exports to the rest of the world depress global prices, and so, mm. so it really doesn't work. In addition, there's a smuggling problem. They have found caches of metals in Mexico owned by Chinese billionaires ready to be shipped into the U.S. market using uh, our other trading partners as a sort of backdoor into the U.S. market. So we need a, a broad sanction.
0: So, so th- 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 that's I didn't know about that. So Mexico would be used because it's a poorer country would not get tariffs on steel. that's actually Chinese, but they're pretending it's Mexican. Right. Well, we
1: have NAFTA. Remember, we have a free trade agreement course, with yeah. NAFTA, and so it's very easy. It's not just steel. And frankly, it's a lot of products. But steel. Uh, it was a. Alum- I, I believe it was aluminum that they was the big recent headline. Um, and my old newspaper, the Wall Street Journal, uncovered this huge stash of aluminum. In uh, I think it was a billion dollars worth of aluminum, maybe more in mexico yes waiting to be shifted to the u.s
0: but surely i mean uh increased tariffs on china would increase the likelihood of of sort of dodgy exploitation of nafta going on like that
1: that's right and so what you so what you need to do is actually put a tariff on all imported steel and aluminum
0: mm.
1: and that's that's why they've made the decision the way they have it's not because we you know, we hate Canada, which is the you know the biggest exporter of steel into the U.S. It's because, regardless of what Canada might do, Chinese steel dumping on the rest of the world depresses global steel prices and uh, and makes it difficult for any sanctions to work at all mm. without having to do it against everybody.
0: Well, let's that, let that bring us on to our second another point, which would be that. Uh, you know, effectively having subsidized Chinese steel all over the world is extremely beneficial to lots of other industries. Um, we heard, you know, people like uh, beer makers in Pennsylvania are going to suffer because of uh, higher steel prices.
1: Right. Well, what? a couple of things about that. First of all, the contribution of thing, of the price of aluminum to the cost of making beer is negligible Mm. a 10 percent increase in that negligible contribution is will you know will barely be a breeze in the wind it's unlikely even that any of that will get passed on to, to consumers it may in fact most likely have a slight margin compression on the users of aluminum and steel so you know Industrial America, yeah, it will have a slight margin compression effect on them. But, but profit margins are extremely high right now. It's unlikely that the, that the cost bearer of this will be the strained American consumer mm-hmm. rather than the highly profitable American corporate sector. In fact, I would argue that the very fact that we've seen stock prices fall in the U.S. is a reflection that that's what's going to happen. Because if they could pass 100% of the tariff onto the consumer, then stock prices wouldn't care. The profit margins would remain high. In fact, what we're seeing is there's going to be profit compression. And therefore, you have a reason for the equity holders in big US companies to sell some of it off.
0: But surely there will be some impact on the consumer. I mean, it will be a small, even if you Take the idea that it's a good idea there will be a it'll be a small levy effectively on that the consumer will have to pay
1: I think that's right. I think there will probably be some small effects and some on you know some products more than others if you know it remains to be seen what happens. I've looked back though at what happened during the Bush administration tariffs, and it's really hard to you know see any effect at all to be honest it, you know they, we were. It's obscured because there's always large macroeconomic winds blowing, and so it's hard to tell. But it's not – you know, prices have not been going up by a lot in the U.S. Yeah. We have very, very low inflation, lower than targeted, uh, and so I don't think that there will be a major harm on the consumer at all.
0: Uh, uh, What about the idea that it it actually will not bring, I mean, Trump would argue that it will bring back jobs um, if it revives the steel and and aluminium and and America's industrial base, which presumably it would. But I suppose the the counter argument to that would be that automation really means that these jobs are not really going to exist anyway in the future.
1: Well, look, it probably does mean automation uh, will help make the American steel industry more efficient. Hmm. I think it will bring back jobs, uh, however, because we've lost so many. And even more than bringing back jobs, in order to have a, a strong steel industry, it has to be attractive to a young person wanting to go to work there. Hmm. We can't run our steel industry for the next 50 years with the current steel workers. We need new people coming in. We need a younger workforce in steel. And if, if the steel industry looks like it is set to decline and die, it gets very hard to tell people, you know, no, stay in, uh, you know, Southern Ohio or West Virginia, take that job in the steel mill. It, we, we need, if, if we're going to have a steel industry and we do need to have a steel industry, it has to be able to attract both workers and capital Remember all that automation people talk about going to steal jobs. That's not going to happen if the steel industry looks like it is set to die. If it mm. is shedding uh, market uh, share every year, why would you invest in automation? You just let it, you, you, you know, a smart businessman would just say, I'll just let it, you know, flow off and go away eventually, which frankly is what's been happening. There hasn't been a lot of invest, investment in steel because capacity util- utilization is
0: so low. Right, well, I think I think you've knocked down my uh, fairly lame free market arguments. But I I would like uh, also to talk about this point that you, you pointed towards uh, in an email before we did this podcast, uh, which is something I think that's been entirely overlooked, certainly in Britain, is the security uh, motivation or the, the national defence motivation for uh protecting American industry and particularly steel uh and this was a big part i think of wilbur ross's report um into how to protect america's industrial base, which was the uh the trigger for for trump's announcement yesterday i think uh could you explain a bit about what what that is and 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 how how kind of the steel industry is actually a national security interest for america right so
1: th- th- the the trade sanctions directly these tariffs directly spring from a report that Wilbur Ross, the head of the Commerce Department, did uh, under a law called Section 232 that looked at how important is the steel industry to American national security. And it's very important. It's important partly you know, directly, right? We've got to make tanks. We've got to be able to make tanks and ships. And not just the tanks and ships we make now. You want to be in your steel industry for defense purposes. You want to have excess capacity, capacity you can ramp up in the time of a crisis, whether that's a war or just you know, a civil war in China that takes out its capacity. You need to have some excess capacity in the U.S. Beyond just the, you know, the, the, the ability to make tanks and warships, you also need to have a working infrastructure in the U.S., and that requires a lot of steel and a great mm. telecommunications grid and a great power grid. All of those steel and aluminum play a big role in that. If we're not able to produce that domestically, it is a, it does compromise national security. And in some ways, what we uh, I think one of the things that's overlooked when we discuss this uh, is that The steel industry's overcapacity, meaning their ability to ramp up in the time of a crisis, Mm. is a positive externality that the rest of us don't pay for. We pay for the steel we use. We don't pay for the steel that we need to be able to get if we're in a crisis. So to the extent that the, the tariff acts as a small tax on everybody else, in a way, all it really is doing is paying for that benefit of of excess capacity that we need them to have. I think that it has been overlooked. I think, you know, people have become a little bit complacent about the idea that, you know, a major international crisis of some sort can tax your physical capacity to produce the goods you need to overcome that crisis. And, so they, they, you know they hear, "Oh, well, they think it's just a sort of excuse, but it's very real. And if anybody reads the Commerce Department report, it's very clear uh, that, that uh, the steel industry was, if not facing an existential threat, was facing a threat to its ability to continue to provide the kind of excess capacity we need to have. To be prepared for a major international
0: crisis and could you explain just a little bit about uh, this section two three two what what i mean how how is how are the Trump administration able to use that to overcome what would presumably otherwise be the wTO stopping them from introducing these tariffs
1: right well, so first of all, built into all of our uh, trade agreements are existing u s laws and so now, that doesn't mean the WTO has to take the administration's side. They could rule that, in fact, we abused our discretion and we, we shouldn't have done this. I, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually they do have a ruling against the uh, Trump administration tariffs. And at that point, we'll have to see what we decide to do about that.
0: But, but is, uh, that, is that part of Trump's tactics? That Even if the WTO did that, uh, you know, the obvious riposte would be to say, well, look at what China uh, China's abuse of, of W, of the WTO, I mean, because I think China doesn't actually have to uh, obey the same strict no tariff laws that America does.
1: Right, I think that's right. What they are, what, what they will do is, if this case comes to a head someday, attempt to use it to show how unfair the particularly China but other countries as well, has been in the way that they have manipulated the steel market and in a, in a direct attempt to undermine the integrity and uh, viability of the US steel industry. This law has been on the books forever. It's not a new law. It's not something Trump put in place. It mm. hasn't been used very often uh, because it does require you to make a find, you know, do an investigation, make a finding and decide is there a threat from this massive amount of imports to something vital to us security? This is why it's not a tariff on everything, right? We didn't, he, you didn't do the investigation and say, all right, uh, tariff on imported cell phones. Yes. It's a tariff on things that are very
0: closely
1: tied to security, aluminum steel. I mean, it's hard to imagine, uh, anything that isn't the actual armed forces that is more tied to u.s security than stuff like steel right yeah. like you, you, you're not going to win a war against anybody you're not even going to be able to avoid a war against anybody to be honest no. if you don't have the ability to you know build a tank
0: yes and uh, i mean lastly pretty much it's it's sort of the 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 narrative in the media, I suppose, today is that a trade war is sort of inevitable now. You presumably think that is uh, hyperbole in the extreme.
1: Yeah, look, um, countries that export steel to the US export a lot of other stuff as well. Mm. And their other exporting industries are not going to want to see their country in a tit-for-tat trade war with the U.S. just because we put we put a tariff on steel, they're much more likely and also probably much more influential than the steel are foreign technology companies, are foreign consumer goods companies that want to continue to have a fair and open trading relationship with the U.S. and not one characterized by a, a trade war. Yeah. So. Far from them, you know it's not that they're afraid of the u s and don't want to do it. They have you know just very solid economic domestic reasons not to engage in a trade war so i I think that i'm sure there'll be lots of posturing and threats because that's the way things are done, but ultimately i I don't see it in anybody's interest to have a trade war with the u.s and so i that means you know i i think cooler heads prevail yes. and we don't end up in a trade war
0: and i mean perhaps we can move away from the economics and look at the politics of it briefly the the um i mean if i understand this rightly trump has been pushing for a sort of uh ground shaking or or dramatic uh protectionist move um you know, I don't mean protectionist in the sort of normal, you know, I just mean he's been trying to do something that will change the dial on uh, trade imbalances for a long time. And, and a lot of people within his administration have been desperately trying to stop him. But yet this week, after the Wilbur Ross report, uh, he, he's he gone for it. Do you think that's just because he read the Wilbur Ross report and thought we've got to do it? Or do you think there is another reason why he is trying to uh, ramp up the, 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 the trade? Um, aggression.
1: I, I, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's both. I think he has been wanting to do something about trade for a long time. The Wilbur Ross report finally gave him indisputable ammunition uh, that, to, you know, intellectual and political, you know, de- uh, intellectually and politically defensible position in which to say our commerce d- department looked into it. Here is the conclusion they have come to. So therefore we need to take action. I think that was a big part of it. I also think there's a little bit of looking ahead to the 2018 midterm elections for Congress. And even to 2020, he knows that he was elected in part because he promised to be different on trade than the Obama administration, than the Clinton administration before that, than the, then the mm. Bush administration. Uh, and he, and yet, you know, he did a massive tax cut, but he, not a lot of action has been taken on trade. We still don't have the wall that he talked about building. So I think he saw this as an opportunity to live up to the uh, Donald Trump from the campaign trail while he's in the White House. This is an action that, I mean, frankly, it's a, it's a little bit.
0: So, up- c- cyni- c- cynically, you could say it, it might be a bit of red meat for the base.
1: Yeah and you I mean or non cynically uh hey we've got a president who's doing something he said he'd do right this is terrific yeah. Um, yeah it actually surprises me that so many people are sort of shocked or taken aback by this happening when um you know this is something he's been say you know the, Donald Trump has been inconsistent on a number of things uh, throughout the first year as president. One thing he's been very consistent on is insisting that we would take actions on trade to address trade deficits. Uh, people who are you know, shocked and horrified that this happened uh, either weren't paying attention or were just huge cynics who thought that this was uh, a promise of red meat for the base that would never get delivered. Trump
0: is saying that yes. he's going to deliver. Well, uh I, I don't know if you saw The Economist did a a, a a piece uh went up this morning I think about and it was sort of a message from the future and it was the Trump slump uh and it was written 25 years time sort of looking back through history at how uh Trump's protectionism collapsed the global economy. Uh, I mean, did you read that and uh, could have a very brief summary of what you think of that line of argument?
1: Well, I haven't read that particular piece from The Economist, but I swear I've read a zillion other versions of that piece <laughs> yeah. whenever anybody has ever decided, you know, threatened to do something uh, other than follow the free trade orthodoxy. Look, Donald Trump and his, the people in his administration, whether it's Wilbur Ross, uh, Robert Lighthizer, who's the U.S. trade representative, Peter Navarro, who's his uh, economic advisor on trade issues inside the White House. These guys are not anti-trade. They are not saying, you know, that's it. We're going to isolate the American uh, uh, economy, isolate the markets, cut us off from trading with anybody else. They're just trying to get better deals for the U.S. And so this notion that, you know, Trump collapses global trade because you know he imposed a ten percent tariff on aluminum and a twenty-five. These are very small numbers. Twenty-five uh, percent tariff on uh, steel, and that that's it, right? They they want to make it very binary. Either you accept, either the U.S. accepts the orthodoxy, or it's suddenly the most protectionist nation in the world. I'll tell you, even after these tariffs are in place. The U.S. will still be the most open trading, major trading country in the entire world. No other country has markets as open as we do. And we, that will still be true the day after the tariff. So, you know, the economists can fantasize about the end of the world if they want. It's the, it's the free trade version of a zombie apocalypse. It's not real. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's nothing to be afraid of. It might be fun to talk about and watch, you know, but it's not real.
0: John, uh, great pleasure to talk to you as always. And um, yeah, I hope you'll come on again soon.
1: Thanks for having me. I love it.
0: Thanks, John. Thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And you can also subscribe to the magazine through our special podcast offer, which is on www.spectators.co.uk forward slash And we'll even throw in a Spectator moleskin notebook for people who take up that offer.